you know, that's something that I really strive for. And I think you do too, is that how do you parent and have, have a parent child relationship that really feels good to you and it feels good to the kids? And not holding on to ideals. Cause I think if you have a strong idealization of what your child should be, and then they don't, you know, meet that, then, you know, a lot of times your initial reaction is to be frustrated, you know, disappointed. And, but it's the same thing. It's like if a child has an idealization of what, of who you are and you fall short, then there's that disappointment. So I think being okay with not holding those ideals so strong around, you know, the, the people that you love, it's a lot of times, you know, if you fall short, then there's a lot of disappointment. And so I think realizing that everyone's, you know, flawed and work in progress and it's yeah. okay. And that's, that's part, that's a good thing. Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. Those voices in the intro are my partner, David, and I. My husband is my guest today for the podcast in honor of Valentine's Day and in honor of relaunching the Partners in Parenthood program. Enrollment is open for that now. You can go to simplefamilies.com forward slash partners. And in preparation for talking with David about this, I was reflecting on my journey individually as one partner in a partnership. You know, and as I've talked about over the years on the podcast, so much of my early days of parenthood were wrapped up in idealizations of what I thought parenting should look like, of what I thought family life should look like, and usually that centered on this idea that I should be raising kids that always listen, always behave, are always kind, always happy, always get along with one another. There are a lot of expectations, and the word always came up a lot. And I was working very, very hard. I thought, you know, if I just read all the books and I do all the things right, that we as parents can check all those boxes always. But no matter how hard I worked, no matter how much I learned, no matter how much I read, no matter how much I applied, that perfect family life has always been out of reach, as it might feel for you too. And as it pertains to my partnership, for a long time as I was hustling, to be all the things and do all the things and create this flawless family life. I was also putting a lot of pressure on my partner to do the same. You know, I thought if I just try harder, I can have a perfect family and I am trying my hardest. Now you, my partner, need to try harder if this vision is going to become a reality. If in fact, we're going to raise kids that behave perfectly all the time. The pressure that I put on myself, I also passed off to him too. And I will say that letting go of some of those expectations not only has brought relief for me, but I think it probably has brought a lot of relief for my kids too. Giving them the space to be themselves and to make mistakes and to be human and to know that they are still loved unconditionally in the midst of all that. And the same to my partner because he's never going to read all the parenting books. He's never going to respond with the perfect script but he's also nurturing this really beautiful, important relationship with our kids too. So we've got this shared goal and we're traveling on the same road, taking lots of wrong turns along the way. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you're interested in learning more about partners in parenthood, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash partners. Enrollment is open for this week only. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, David. Thanks for being back on the podcast. Thanks. It's been a whole year. You were last on the podcast in episode 251, where we were talking about downsizing when we sold our house. And it's been that long? Yeah, and you're a popular guest, so I'm glad to have you back. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. As long as you quit moving around on the sofa, because you're <laughs> <laughs> causing poor audio. Sorry, this is my second rodeo, so I'm still getting used to it. Okay, hold still. All right. <laughs> so we're talking about partnership in parenthood today. 
And I launched this fall my new program, Partners in Parenthood. And I thought it would be valuable to bring you on for you to share your half of this partnership and what it's looked like as we've evolved together. Awesome. Sounds good. And I do feel like we have evolved together. I think evolved is, or evolving is the key word. Yeah, definitely not. Um, we haven't reached an ideal state um, or, you know, perfection by any stretch of the imagination. Right. And I don't think that, I don't think that's what anybody wants to hear anyways, right? I think we're, this analogy of like, we're on the same highway, we're traveling on the same path. We've got this shared goal of raising happy, healthy, successful kids and Sometimes, maybe often, we take a wrong turn and have to recalculate and get back on. Yeah, or maybe, you know, have a pit stop or, you know, get some food, have a little detour. Recharge. Recharge. <laughs> yeah. And then get back on the road and we may have to catch up a little bit. But that's okay. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's part of, I, that has been part of evolving is realizing that that is what the journey is going to look like. And it's always going to look like that. We're always going to be making wrong turns. We're always going to be messing up and repairing and learning as we go. Yeah. It's not a predetermined path, right? That's for sure. And I don't know. I don't think I, I don't, I didn't see it like that in the beginning. I guess I felt like I wanted all the answers and I wanted to have it figured out. And that if we could just do that, then everything would be easy and we could stay on that true course forever i think you just wanted one bus like one bus we're all going to the same speed we're all going to the same destination but the reality is that we're probably in more like a caravan going to a you know a, a long distance uh location and sometimes like we're all kind of want to get to the same destination but you know the speeds at which we get there maybe like some people get distracted you know changing lanes or whatever but i mean at the end of the day like, we all want to get there the same place Right. Yeah, I think caravanning is a good is a good analogy because we're together and we're traveling the same route. And that I think from I, I took a bunch of questions from listeners today and I think that is the key thing that really stuck out to me. This idea that a lot of people struggle with not being on the same route and that they're taking two different routes towards the same goal. Yeah, I think my my work here is done. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. So yeah, like how do we caravan rather than traveling on different routes? Yeah. That's a... A real question? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's great. Right? So yeah. I guess that's what we're talking about today. Now, when I took questions, I thought I would have this whole variety of questions, but really it was all variations of kind of the same question about, you know, how do you handle disagreements? How do you handle when both partners... Um, want to do things differently or have different parenting styles. So I think we'll talk kind of generally about a lot of these things, but um, let's, let's dive in to the questions and give some pretty imperfect best we can answers. Okay. So um, question from Stacy. She said, do you make, I guess this was directed to me now that I'm reading this. She said, do you make all the parenting decisions given that you have the qualification and know the research? It's a great question, <laughs> Stacy. Thank you for asking that. I am absolutely kind of a boss about this kind of thing in a bad way. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I definitely take a lot of ownership over this. I think it depends on the type of parenting decision. So if it's, I mean, obviously, yes, given your background and the whole variety of factors like my own life experiences and kind of understanding what the family dynamic, you know, what my experience of a family dynamic would be. Um, you know, I tend to lean to you when it comes to parenting decisions. I mean, that said where I feel like I have a strong opinion, I mean, you'll definitely hear it. Um, but I'm one that, you know, I tend to go with the flow and I'm okay kind of deferring and delegating. Like I would hope that people, you know, my, people on my team like they know that I'm totally fine relieving responsibility because one it's the most efficient use of you know my time um but then two like if someone else is better equipped to handle the situation or has better information like hey by all means like I'm not gonna hold my pride um to try to like defend my honor to to make a decision 
Yeah. And I, I do think that, well, I mean, early on, especially, I was definitely a know-it-all and made all the decisions and kind of ruled the roost for lack of better words until I really realized that, you know, I don't have all the answers and I don't do everything right. And I take wrong turns just as much as you do and need to recalculate and get back on course. And that, I think, kind of that humbling experience, I feel like I'm humbled every day in parenting our kids has really, I think it's made more room to bring you and your opinions in, even though I think, yeah, sure. Like a lot of times the way that I choose to do things is based on my research and my education and my work experience. But now that I've realized that even with all that stuff, I still make so many mistakes and I still get off track so often that it's bringing in the opinions and the, and the, the style of the other person, the other partner is valuable because no matter what you know, you still don't know it all. Yeah, well, and I've also felt like I've learned, and I'm still learning this, but the earlier I'm able to kind of, you know, either share my opinion with you like before something becomes more tense or, you know, we're in a moment where, you know, a decision is made, I find it helpful to share my point of view, my perspective on parenting decisions with you earlier. Because um, again, if it's a little bit more in the moment and you know there's more tension or pressure or what have you like it that's a harder conversation to have than if it's in a lower stress um you know environment yeah i I mean i definitely think that having conversations about things that have gone wrong are always better when everyone's calm yeah after the fact i do want to acknowledge like it is most of the situations we're getting into now, you know, as kids get older, like they're the first times we're getting into new, you know, kid parenting situations, you know, whether it's, you know, friend dynamic or you know, activities or how they, you know, uh, react to each other, you know, as, as siblings, you know, we're just exploring that too. And so I think it's, you can't predict everything, but I think it's always, again, helpful to, to talk um, to your partner yeah. Early early and often. And I do think that it, it is absolutely possible to have a shared, unified approach to parenting. And we very much do have that. And I feel very blessed that, you know, and also I think we've worked really hard to, to unify and to come together in that. And for us, and this is something that I talked about, talk about in the program is the idea of finding this moderate middle ground where we're balancing both a maturationist approach and a behaviorist approach. And in the middle, that's an interactionist approach. And what does that mean? So the maturationist approach is that you just like, oh, they're going to grow out of everything. When they get older, it'll be fine. Like, it's fine. They'll grow out of it. And the behaviorist is, I have to fix every single one of these behaviors with a reward or a punishment. So you know, how do you find that middle ground, the interactionist where you learn to let go of the annoying behaviors and really focus in on correcting and intervening with the problem behaviors. And that I think has really kind of been the core of what has brought us together in finding that middle ground, figuring out what to let go of, what to hold on to. And um, what they're saying, because it's true, there is a lot of stuff that they're going to grow out of. Yeah, it, well, and given my own life experience, I've definitely found myself to be more of the behaviorist um, approach. You know, just again, it's just a function of my life experience, and you know what I bring to the table from a a perspective is you know my childhood, um, probably less than the childhood books and child rearing and you know podcasts and you know, influencers talking to me about parent rearing, uh, parent rear, child rearing. Um, parent rearing, I think that's kind of a relevant, <laughs> a relevant term. We should use yeah. that. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of people ask, do you read parenting books? I do not. <laughs> I kind of laughed at her and I was like, you definitely do not read parenting I books. I do not. I've read your book. Yeah, you, I think you read my book. I read your book. Like, after it came out. No, Wait, I read, you, no, read before it? it got published. Really? Yeah, if I okay. read, yeah. Oh, okay. Of course. Um, no, you don't, you definitely don't read parenting no. books. But I don't, I don't read a lot of books. I, I read a lot of, you know, articles or, you know, online stories or whatever it may be, but I'm not a big, I'm totally fine, you know. You're more of a, 
I'm much more of a article slash, yeah. you know. Um, so we did. I don't know if you remember, but when I was pregnant with our first, we listened to Brain Rules for Baby. We were on a road trip. Yep. And we listened to that book and we paused it and we talked about all sorts of things. And that I thought that was really times maybe we were on our way to our, our baby moon we drove to new mexico to santa fe do you remember that yeah and yeah, i think it was like yeah. it was like a 10 hour book so i think we listened to it on the way and we paused it and we talked about it all the different things in the book brain rules for baby and i can't tell you a single takeaway from that right but now. you do so maybe i, I internalize I, it right exactly i yeah. will argue that i do think that that some things from that book or any other things you hear in like podcasts you do internalize them and they become part of your parenting intuition even if you don't actively remember exactly what it said. Yeah, I think the only thing I actually remember from a parenting book, well, I, actually it wasn't a book, it was a video. It was The Happiest Baby on the Block. Oh, where you shushed the baby? Yeah, yeah. Because and I does think that I read, still come, Does that still come in handy for you? I've given that advice to plenty of new <laughs> oh, parents. Okay. I've been like, you, you know. I thought you meant you still use it. No, I said the best money oh, yes. ever spent and the best 20 or 30 minutes watching a video you'll ever see. The, the five happy, S's. Happiest baby on the happiest block. Happiest baby the on the shushing block. And, yeah. and the swaddling. And the, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and you know why you liked that so much was, I think, you know, thinking back to early parenthood is that, you know, I was nursing both of our kids. And like that is, as a woman, such a powerful way of calming and taking care of a baby. And as a man, you didn't have that. So like those tools really helped you to be able to, you know, be responsible and to soothe and to take an active role. So I feel like that was really empowering to give you those tools. What I felt the response to of the child, it was so quick, right? Like being able to calm a child. I mean, you're, you're one, you feel good about being able to, to calm that, your, your, success, your own child. Right? Yeah, like, it was was very immediate. Yeah. It was very tangible. Um, they're crying, and, you shush them and then they stop crying. It's like, yeah, but, but it, then also right? like, I also felt like I was helping you and helping the family by doing an active, uh, having an active role in, in that. Yeah. And now like reflecting back, like if we only could use the five S's, how simple life would be. I mean, if you could five S, if you could five S me, that'd be okay. I'd be swaddled. <laughs> well, if they still worked swished. on a five and an eight year old, that'd be just, <laughs> just beautiful. Um, but you know, I think back to when we were listening to that book in the car and talking about like the different our thoughts on it. And like, I kind of thought like that was how it was going to be. Like we were going to read books together and like have these deep conversations about parenting and like evaluate all of our decisions and make all the right decisions and do all the right things and raise kids that did all the right things and never stepped out of line. And they were like perfect little happy soldiers. And I think that was all part of my vision for what family life was going to look like and then the kids came right and then like real life <laughs> hashtag real life yeah. which is not really any of that like we don't yeah. sit around like having parenting debates and like reading i mean i read the research and whatnot but that's like my that's my work it's different and but but i will say when it comes to you know the researcher kind of reading child you know parenting books if you will there's so much out there it is beyond confusing and where to even start. And I, I kind of use you as a filter, right? To say, Hey, this is important. This is something you should focus on. This is something, you know, you, you know, that would be helpful for us as a couple, um, in parenting, you know, so you're, you act as a fantastic filter for me. And if there's something that is really important for you, you'll very slyly send me uh, either a DM or a text being like, hey, or a very handy um, photocopy of said article on the nightstand saying, you should probably read this. And, and how often do you actually read it? All the time. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. I never know like what the outcome is. of Just because I don't talk about it doesn't mean that I don't read it. No, that's true. That's true. But yes, but but to circle back, no, I I do not actively participate in that type of research yeah but I mean I think that I don't know like in part of, in when I was developing this program so much of it was you know I just really wanted to keep it simple and focused on the core elements of you know building connection and figuring out what behaviors to let go of and what to hold on to and there's so many things that I think that we 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 get lost in the weeds 
because there is so much out there in parenting and that when you're over inundated with information, you tend to shut down and revert back to the way that you were raised, whether or not that's what you want to be doing with your kids. Because it's easy. It is. It's easy because it's second nature. Yeah. And it also, it's like what comes out when you're squeezed, when you're pushed to your limit, what always comes out is the way that you were raised. Yep. Right. And I mean, unless you do a lot of work and really recognize that stuff coming up for you. But I think even, I mean, I would say 99% of people that they see their own parents coming out of them, like oozing out in moments of stress, like those tendencies. Yeah, I mean, you have to be really intentional about it and also understand. And I think that's something that we've done um, and you've done a lot actually as well with, with me is um, trying to be empathetic about my background, my childhood experience to say, you know, hey, David, I, I think you're probably coming at it from this angle because of, you know, your experience. And I think you've done a, a nice job of of that, you know, even since our kids were younger. Thanks. You know, I think one thing that I see, power struggles, like power struggles are something that I think are really hard for you. And, and I think for every parent, I don't find myself getting into power struggles as much, but I was something I do see with you. And I think a lot of people listening, this is going to resonate with, because a lot of people get into power struggles is that it's very hard to see yourself in the power struggle to know that it's happening until it's too late you're already in way too deep do you feel that yeah well but power struggles for me like you have to realize and growing up you know in a, a, a multicultural or bicultural family you know a, a hispanic father uh caucasian you know american mom um two distinctly different parenting approaches, you know, a, a very, I even call it like, there's a term machismo type of role for the, for the parental figure, you know, it was command and control, you know, like the, the dad was going to lay down the law and, and that's what it was. So that, and that's how I grew up. Yeah. Well, and a lot of it, even in my upbringing too, was there was a lot of fear, like fear of disappointing, fear of just like not living up to your parents' expectations. And I think all kids experience that. Yeah. That fear around, you know, not doing, not being good enough for their parents. And I think it's to, on some levels much more intense based on the parenting style. But I guess when I say like power struggle, here's an example from this week. So um, you asked our son to brush his teeth and he's like wandering around the house, not brushing his teeth. And then you ask him, you're like, can you brush your teeth? You need to brush your teeth right now. He's like in the other room, like doing like playing with his Beyblades. I don't even know what he's doing. You're getting really frustrated because he's not brushing his teeth. When he always brushes his teeth. He is just a kid that never goes to sleep without brushing his teeth, never leaves the house without brushing his teeth. So he's going to brush his teeth. It's just he's not going to do it like exactly when you asked him to do it. And you were getting very frustrated about it. And that, I think, for me, like having an, a partner that can be like, hey, this is a power struggle to like help bring it to your attention. That can be really helpful to me when you have, when you can work together like that to help each other see those moments where I'm like, Hey David, this is a power struggle. He's going to brush his teeth. Right. And he did like, as soon as you like stopped asking him, what yeah. did he do? Well, he probably played for another 10 minutes and then he brushed his teeth, <laughs> right. but yes. But yeah. it's like how it, and that I think is like, that kind of goes against a lot of the way that we were raised but at the core, like it still happens. Like he still brushes his teeth. If you give him, if you lean in and give him a little bit of power back, he's more likely to move forward with whatever it is that you're asking him anyways. And it's going to be, there's going to be less pain, less arguing, less dramatics in the process. Yeah. And I would argue that pushing forward on a power struggle doesn't even make it happen any faster. It just kind of prolongs it because then you're arguing longer rather than waiting for the kid to do what they need to do yeah and i've definitely i feel like you know either bringing that attention that i'm trying to get into power struggle has definitely made me pause and i know that i tend to lean that's my first inclination is to kind of show that um but again it, it that's my first like that's what i'm 
so to speak, bring to the table again and yeah. uh, from my childhood experience. And that's where, you know, I, I tend to go, my, my first instinct is, is to do that. So it's like, how can I try to be a little bit more reflective and, but it's hard, right? It's yeah. no one's perfect. And, and also it's like, there's a lot of emotion or if you're tired and you're just trying to go to right. bed or like, yeah, you know, end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not the last thing you want to be doing is like chasing around or like reminding a kid who's <laughs> right. Yeah, just, just brush yeah, just the get dead it done. teeth and yeah. be done with it. No, I know. I hear that. And so another question that I was asked a lot was, you know, what do you do when you disagree on an issue like this? Where's the compromise? And I think that the compromise is there in the partnership. The how do you help to remind each other that, you know, we are caravaning on the same road and what this road is. The road is pick your battles, you know. You know we know he's going to brush his teeth. Maybe it's not going to happen right this second, but in the next few minutes, he'll wander in the bathroom and he'll brush his teeth. And that is the road that we're on. And sometimes it's easy to like veer off and be like, you got to brush your teeth right now. You have to do it right now. And just, you know, out of kind of just like life and like the anxieties of life. So that I think is helpful to, you know, look to your partner to help remind you of what you're working on together rather than really viewing it as like two people going different directions and having different styles. What do you yeah. think? No, I think that's right. And and I think what's been helpful too is to take a step back. Again, not like when in this example, you know, the our kid was trying to brush his teeth and, you know, I was getting frustrated and you're trying to gently remind me like, hey, you're you're David, you're getting into a power struggle uh here. But, um, you know, just to remind each other, like, hey, the overall, like, the vision, right, of our of our kids and our, of our family is that we want, want to raise happy, healthy kids um, who are, you know, kind. And, and I think we share that same value system. We share, we share that same vision. It's just sometimes our strategies and tactics to get there may differ. But I think ultimately, like, we still want the same thing. Yeah. So just being... You know, taking time to reflect on that helps. Um, yeah. And I think there's a lot of people listening that sort of have a similar dynamic as we do where one person like reads all the books and listen to all, listens to all the podcasts and then the other person is kind of more going on their gut and going more on their life experience. And I think that that can be tricky because then you do kind of naturally fall into this know-it-all mindset. And and actually in the very first video in the program, like that's the first thing that I say is you need to come in as an, as a blank slate. Don't be a know-it-all. I know this because I've done this from experience. Like I have been the know-it-all and I know that it gets me nowhere because nobody wants to partner with a know-it-all. Well, I shut down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When I try to tell you what to do and like be right all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then I always say, I shut down. Then I say like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. (laughs) Is that what you say in your head? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) No, but yeah, I think that nobody wants to partner with someone who, who, where the power dynamic is imbalanced. So I think that was something really important to me when I developed this program was, you know, I want you, no matter how many podcasts you've listened to, no matter how many books you've read, no matter like what your work experience is, is that you and your partner both need to be coming at the same level, right? You Maybe you've learned some of this before, but this is the first time you've learned it together. And how can you learn together and help to support each other and to remind each other and to sort of like when one starts to veer off the road, how do you nudge them back on rather than, you know, getting irritated with, irritated with them for taking the wrong turn and having to recalculate? Yeah. We're going to pause and take a 60-second word from today's sponsor. The sponsor for today is Indeed. You deserve a fresh start in all parts of your life, even at work. Take your team to the next level with a hiring partner that makes it simple to find the right candidates with the right skills. That's where Indeed comes in. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. That's because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed is the only site where you're guaranteed to find high-quality applications. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites to find the right candidates, let Indeed save you time and energy on the hiring process. And of course, the thing that I love about Indeed is that it's simple. 
it makes it easy to hire great talent. You can start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash families. That offer is valid through March 31st. Go to indeed.com slash families to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash families. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, check out Indeed. As always, thanks for supporting our sponsors and back to today's episode. Next question. How do you strike the balance of arguing in front of your kids? So arguing in front of our kids is not even an option because they get so upset by it that it just, it's like, it derails our argument. <laughs> They're like, they start to have an argument about our argument. Yeah. So I'm just like, I don't, I don't even, I don't even like try to argue in front of them. It's not that I'm like trying to avoid it. Cause I do think it's okay to have conflict in front of your kids. Well, I think like, it's actually healthy to have right. conflict, but then also resolution, right? Like yes. that's the, that's the most yeah. important thing. But they just, I, they're very disarmed by us when we argue you know, our daughter immediately thinks we're getting divorced. <laughs> like, and our son, like he, he interestingly defines arguing different. Like he gets, even if we just kind of like raise our voices a little bit or like debate about something, he thinks we're arguing and gets upset. So I think he's really sensitive to us arguing. And she, like, if we are arguing, like she is sure that we're getting divorced. Like yeah. someone is leaving today. I don't know where that, where <laughs> I don't she even know where that, she knows like, really know, about divorce. I, I don't know where that came from, but like that is a, a huge trigger for both of them so but it's not to say like we don't like there are instances where we do you argue in front of the kids i don't think we try to avoid it actively but it's very hard to have like a full-blown argument in front of them because it just gets disruptive (laughs) they disrupt our arguing they do (laughs) (laughs) because they start yelling um so it's, it's just like our son will just say sorry as soon as we start you know raising our voices he'll start raising his voices oh, yeah. and it's just this escalating competition and then it gets to a point where i'm like um i just don't even want to hear whatever him. we were arguing about it's yeah. not not yeah. that important to be argued about anymore yeah. <laughs> so so yeah i i don't think it's a bad thing to argue and to find resolution in front of your kids but um it's not something that we end up doing that often, just kind of a matter of like a cir- matter of circumstances. How do you divide the tasks evenly between the two of you? So I think that I end up doing a lot of like I guess you could call me the lead parent, or I do end up doing a lot of the the daily taking care of like the scheduling and like the coordinating of getting the Valentine's Day cards for the class and um, and that sort of thing. And I think in general, I mean, I started out when our kids were born, I was finishing up my PhD and I was mostly home all day, every day. So I took on the vast majority of the stuff in the home from the very beginning. And slowly now that I'm working full time, it's been harder to transition to a more 50-50 arrangement. And I think my resolve with that is that it's not ever going to be 50-50. Like I think it's, and that's not even what I'm striving for. I think that not everybody needs to strive for 50-50, but finding the balance that works for you and you feel content with is more important than having a perfectly equal spread. Yeah. And also, I think... Each partner is going to be different. And I'm not going to say it, you know, even going to, I'm making this up, like 60-40, 70-30, 80-20, like sometimes probably the starting point's going to be wrong for the other partner or, you know, for the partner, for either partner, like that mix is going to be wrong. Um, and so it is, it is a kind of trial bearer and kind of finding the, the right yeah. natural rhythm. And then there's also a little bit of kind of compromise and being open about it. And I think everyone has a different set of glasses. Like I would yeah. say that we probably have like, a 70-30 split, and you would probably say differently. What do you think our, like, split of household kid stuff is? No. What do you agree? 65 <laughs> Okay. All right, 65-35. Definitely not 70-30. Oh, okay. Maybe 67 Maybe 60-40-65. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, no, have definitely heavily skewed towards me, but I was just stuck for four days in Ohio and you totally manned the fort. And I will say that I was 
very impressed at your ability to step up and do 100% for the time that I was gone. I'm not impressed because that's just me. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> it's the first time you've ever been alone with the kids for that long. And not that you couldn't handle it, but I think in particular, I think that the hurdle is that our kids get up and they, my, our son gets on the bus at 6.55 and our daughter gets on the bus at 7.15 and it's just very early and you're not used to an early morning routine like that with them. Yeah, wasn't an issue. Yeah, no, I, I know you handled it and I was very impressed. I didn't know if they were going to make it on the bus, but and I, that's they did. the interesting thing because it felt like you were really nervous and anxious about well, I wasn't that really. I wasn't not that much. I was more anxious and nervous about being stuck in an airport hotel for 4 days. Mm-hmm. Less okay. so much I guess about you not doing what you had to do. To but get- I, I feel like I I was not stressed at all. Like, did you feel like I was going to be, I was going to be stressed out about like sending the kids off and like, I felt like it was, I was not stressed at all. No, I don't know. I don't know what I expected. I just, I didn't expect that you were going to like know how to pack the lunches and stuff, but you did get, well, you got up the day before I left, you got up that morning and you kind of shadowed and like took pictures of what their lunches look like and like wrote some notes about what goes into their backpacks and that kind of thing. So you were like ready. Try to be prepared. You were, you were prepared and it was life. adequate, which I guess I. Adequate? It was. You I was were, thriving. Okay. It, it enabled you to do what you needed to do versus like to me, I think in my head, I had overcomplicated what it took to get the kids on the bus in the morning because <laughs> it feels like a lot of work for me to get the kids on the bus in the morning. Like it's just, there's a lot of like moving parts. A lot of things have to go in backpacks. A lot of things that need remembered and it feels heavy for me and something that I do juggle all in my head. Um, so that was the first time that I'd ever like really written it down and kind of like passed it off to someone. Yeah. But I think I had my own approach to it as well. And yeah, it went off without a hitch. Yeah. And now I can do it more often because I feel super confident in your abilities. Right? <laughs> Silence. <laughs> Um, no, but, and I think that's kind of like that also slow letting go process for me because I did take on so much ownership in the early days that it has been harder for me to let go. And I've definitely dealt with maternal gatekeeping and feeling like I'm the one that does everything right. And I'm the one who, I'm the only one who can do right by the kids and can take care of the kids. So that over the years has been a slow process of me really understanding not only that other people can take care of the kids, but they can do a good job of it. And I can step back and I can sit down and I can relax. Yeah. But the, with the kids, I think it was, it was super smooth because you were not there as a crutch, you know, like I think if I were just to take over cold, you know, you mean like Everything. if I slept and you got up and with the kids? Well, if you were in the house, you know, and I was doing all of that, like they would just revert back to, oh, I want mama to do it. Or, you know, because yeah. it, it, that's happened in the past. Like a lot of times when, you know, we try to hand off certain tasks or or roles or whatever it might be, if you're still kind of in the house, then it tends to be difficult because the kids still actively seek the, you know, you. Yeah. And I do think, I think that is a, a dynamic that was just established a long time ago. Like when I did want to do all the things and be all the things all the time. And now, I mean, not now, but like this, I have felt for a long time, like I don't want to do all the things and I don't want to be all the things. But it has been hard once you start down that path, I think kind of moving off that path and and transferring power back over to your partner. It's not easy. So I think the moral of the story is go on a long trip. And see what happens. You know, we'll set them up for success and see what happens. And I think, hopefully, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. So here's another question. It said, anyone struggle with not being on the same page as their spouse when it comes to parenting? We had an incident this morning that left me feeling undermined. I approached my husband about it later and he accused me of being too negative and basically said he did what he did to meet his own needs which was let the kids have screen time to avoid drama so he could go back to sleep, even though I work hard to keep a no screens before school policy to help the mornings run more smoothly. I'm really upset by this and don't know how to approach it again. Any suggestions or advice? So I will say this is 
a little bit of a tricky one because you know I definitely see where it is the path of least resistance for kind of my like if I you know this has happened to me right where I've slept in and the kids have watched TV and I'm like you know what it's either the weekend or you know it's just it's easier right like it's not gonna hurt the kid like that's my perspective it's like it's not gonna hurt the kids if they have a little bit of time and you I mean we would both try to limit screen time as well but in my mind it's like hey I'm going to have the path of least resistance and everyone's gonna be happy but except for me well <laughs> right no i mean I i'm have willing like, to take the you're willing, the to, willing to take that risk yeah. so you can get the extra sleep <laughs> yes yes um i think and that for me has been a slow reckoning too is understanding that sleep is really important to you i mean sleep is important to me too but i don't think i need as much and i don't ever sleep in really and even if i could sleep in i don't think i would sleep in and that's just kind of who i am like i like to go to bed early and i like to get up early um, so I do take the lead in the morning stuff and you sleep, not, you don't sleep in, but like you sleep till like seven instead of six. It's not like you're yeah. sleeping like all day, but, um, that I think I, I, I felt upset about that for a long time that you slept until seven and I slept until six. Like and 645. Well, you do get up at 645 now, but, and I get up at like 545. But that doesn't make me a better parent. Like, you're rolling your eyes at me. It doesn't make me a better parent because I get up at 545. It makes me a morning person. You need a little letter, a little trophy. You give me a trophy. No, like, I just think that for a long time, I felt like you weren't doing enough by not getting up. And now I'm like, you know what? You, If you were up at 545, you would be miserable. You would be, like, in a stupor, like, wandering <laughs> around the house like, you just wouldn't be alert. And then I would be upset because I'm like, what are you doing standing there? And like, I, would not, be, I like, would be a miserable person. Yeah. Like, I sometimes if I need to wake up early, yes, I do that. But it's it's something that I tend not to do because I know I'm not going to be my best self for either you or the kids. Um, and, yeah, like we talked about, like, I definitely just naturally have a different, um, you know, circadian rhythm, I'd say. Uh, and need more sleep than you do, but yeah. And yeah. I think that idea of the one partner letting the kids watch TV in the morning and the other partner not letting the kids watch TV in the morning. I do think that there is value in having that continuity between the two, right? And it, it's different at different ages. When our kids were a lot younger, this sort of thing would have really impacted them. Like, especially our son, he had a very hard time walking away from TV when he was younger. And like, if you put the TV on, it would like be like meltdown city for the next hour after you turn the TV off. So it would have been very disruptive to his day. So in that situation, I would have been upset if you would have put the TV on in the morning. Cause I'm like, well, great. Now we have like a meltdown for an hour because like we're turning off the TV. And, and so I, I, I feel that now it's not like that though. No. Like now it's much easier to turn off the TV and we don't deal with that. So I think thinking about as things change, you know, that maybe it's, Maybe it's not the end of the world. Maybe this isn't such a huge ordeal. But it's interesting because even in that example, like with our son, when he was younger and he would have the meltdown, my perspective at the time was, I'm going to sleep now to deal with the meltdown later, but I'm going to be in a much better place to take care of the meltdown because I'm going to have sleep and I'm going to be able to handle See, it. See, but better. I'm just like, let's just not have the meltdown to begin with. No, no. I, I mean, I, I, I get that now you argument <laughs> for sure. But I'm just saying when I'm half asleep or I'm half awake. Um, well, maybe that's the problem is that you're trying to like reason while you're half asleep. I can rationalize anything. While you're half asleep. Like oh, yeah. that makes perfect sense. Totally. Like I'll just deal with the meltdown later. Is that really like you really feel like that? Like you think about that and be like, he's going to have a meltdown, but at least I'll be well rested to deal with a meltdown. Like, is that actually, I'm, I'm really, truly trying to understand. Yeah. Like, so that makes sense in complete uh, sense. <laughs> like I'm willing to add another 20 minutes to my sleep. And then, uh, then I can take care of whatever I'm going to walk into later for sure. Uh, yeah. So I, that just doesn't, doesn't, that's not me at all. So that's if the kids hard, get but... hungry. They will, they'll be okay. They're not going to starve. If they wait 20 more minutes, <laughs> so I'll go get food. Right. And, and so later. 
But again, like I think it goes back to this idea that everyone survives and we we figure it out. And that's like, you know, you get off the highway and you get back on, like you get off the path and you get back on. And sometimes you get off the same wrong exit, like multiple times before you figure out what you're doing. And I definitely have a tendency to be more rigid, like in all aspects. Um, And I think about when we took five years ago, we took the kids on a two week trip to Mexico and we spent a week in Mexico City with some friends and then a week on our own. And um, they were, our daughter was five months old and our son was, I guess he was three. Yeah, he was three. And um, that was a very eye-opening trip for me because we were staying with our friends who had kids with the same age, but they were on different nap schedules because in Mexico you eat lunch much later and you eat dinner much later. So every day we would go out to to lunch at two o'clock and that was the time that he took his nap. And I was so rigid at that point in parenthood about his nap time. And I I think I literally felt like he would break if he didn't have his nap at two o'clock every day. So by going and like we were guests, so we just kind of had to go with their schedule like every day at two o'clock, like right when he was supposed to be taking his nap. And he had to, I had been able to control that nap time for his whole life up until this point. And now I didn't, wasn't able to control it. And we would go to lunch and half the time there was meltdown, maybe more than half the time there was a meltdown. Coming out of that experience, being pushed out of my comfort zone, out of my rigidity around my kids' sleep, I think that really helped me to grow and to be more flexible and seeing that, wow, we didn't nap for a week and we were okay. And look what else we can do. Like look in other, in other ways, what other ways can you be flexible, Danae? And, and have like maybe fun new experiences as a result of it. I don't know. I think that's rigidity has been something that I have always struggled with when it comes to, to parenting, feeling like there is like the one way and it's my way and it's on a schedule. It needs to be predictable. And, um, I think we've actually come closer to that because I was on the complete opposite end of the spectrum like being fluid, being kind of going with the flow of whatever it is and being okay with mixing it up. And, um, but now like seeing the benefits of some, you know, more structure and, um, especially as it comes to kids schedules and things like that, or like, you know, when they eat. Um, but yeah, I think we've definitely come closer together than when we first started this, this journey. Yeah. I think we've both leaned in on that and found, more of a middle ground. Yeah. 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 What is something you wish you would have known when you began parenting together? I wish that I would have known that my kids weren't going to be perfect. Because I think when you have a baby and you think, oh, look at my perfect baby, it's it's there. It's kind of this slow reckoning process of realizing that you're raising these imperfect little beings that are going to experience the whole range of emotions and you really have limited control over a lot of aspects of it what do you think i definitely probably not not the like the perfection like definitely i had an ideal um again based upon probably more like movies and tv shows and things like that of like young kids and how you want them to be, you know, happy, healthy, you know, and all of, all of the things you typically or traditionally would, would think of. Um, but knowing that, you know, things may not go as planned, you know, things may be different and being okay with that. Or, you know, if I always wanted a child to play lacrosse or, or, soccer whatever it may be and they're into painting or you know acting or something that you know because tr- i really enjoyed sports growing up and the benefits of team sports but they're into things that are not sports related like being just being open to that earlier um and i, I think that would be something that would just be good reminder that um yes i can try to influence it as much as i can 
and expose them to the benefits of it. But at the end of the day, you know, they're their own individual, they're their own person, and they have um, interests that may be different than mine. Yeah, just meeting the child where they're at rather than trying to make them into something that you you dream of or something that you have idealized for them, which I think that many of us get caught up in early in parenting is this kind of vision of what you expect for your kids. And I mean, I knew, I knew that my kids weren't going to be perfect, but it, it's kind of like this slow reckoning of realizing that your kids are not always going to behave exactly how you want them to behave. They're not always going to be kind. They're not always going to listen and they're not always going to cooperate. And, how it's going to feel to you when those things happen and how you feel in parenting is really important. Like at the end of the day, you want to feel good about your interactions with the people that you love the most. Like you don't want to go to bed feeling like you were a jerk or feeling like your kid hates you or, and you don't want your kid to go to bed feeling like that either, like feeling bad and feeling down on themselves. So I think that you know, that's something that I really strive for. And I think you do too, is that how do you parent and have have a parent-child relationship that really feels good to you and it feels good to the kids? And not holding on to ideals. Because I think if you have a strong idealization of what your child should be, and then they don't, you know, meet that, then you know, a lot of times your initial reaction is to be frustrated, you know, disappointed. And, but it's the same thing. It's like if a child has an idealization of what of who you are and you fall short, then there's that disappointment. So I think being okay with not holding those ideals so strong around, you know, the the people that you love. Because a lot of times, you know, if you fall short, then there's a lot of disappointment. And so I think realizing that everyone's you know flawed and and a work of process and work in progress and it's yeah. okay and that's that's part that's a good thing yeah and i've definitely seen that one ideal that comes up a lot especially for men whatever reason is this ideal idealization of the family dinner and what that looks like and how everyone should be sitting down and smiling and passing the food and using their manners and being really polite and it doesn't always look like that. It doesn't? No, not. It <laughs> definitely doesn't. It's not like it is in the movies. What? Um, and that, I uh, coming to grips with that, if it doesn't look like that in your house, like in our house, our daughter has a really hard time sitting for dinner. She interestingly sits better for breakfast. And I think that we have a better sort of sit down family meal at breakfast with her than we do at dinner time for sure. But it's also a much more structured routine, like in the morning. It's like this time they wake up. At that time, they're typically, you know, getting breakfast. So it's very much like a very structured routine. Yeah. Whereas in the evenings, you know, throw the weekends out because the weekends are always different. But, you know, in the evenings, it's like they may have an activity or, you know, maybe sometimes I'm there or maybe I'm not because of work or whatever it may look like that I feel like that the structure is not. Well, the energy is better in the morning. At night, like everybody's tired, you know, especially our kids go to bed at seven. So dinner is like right before bedtime. And I think we're tired, they're tired. So there's just a lot of pressure there. So I I don't know. I find that we have actually a better family together time at the table in the morning than at night. But I also think that looking at things like going to restaurants, you know, I mean, with COVID barely ate in restaurants for two years and kind of venturing back out into that world with the kids has been actually good because now they're so much older and it is easier. But I think the law of attraction is very strong or negativity bias. I don't know which one is more relevant in this is in that like when we go out to a restaurant and it's, well, it's bad. And like when they like are grumpy and like it doesn't go well, then we're like, oh, it's just like so hard to take them out to restaurants. But recently, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, I'll, we'll be like sitting at a restaurant and be like, this is nice, David. Mm-hmm. Isn't this nice? Have you noticed me doing that? Well, I know that you're trying really hard. <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> to bring your attention to the good is what I'm trying to do. Yes, yes. Because like so often- Until a breadstick is thrown. <laughs> there's no, no. <laughs> the breadsticks are inhaled. They're not thrown. <laughs> That's true. Um, 
But I, I do think so often that we just remember the hard times. And that I think is another way that you can really partner together with your partners is to point out when you see the good stuff happening so that you can make, I heard this statement recently, like how do you make the good stickier? Because the bad is really sticky. The bad sticks with you. But how do you make the good stickier? How do you notice the good more often? Time. What do you mean? Time passes and you tend to forget about the bad and you just think about the good. Yeah, no, I think that's true. That's definitely true of vacations. Yeah. Like vacations that feel very hard in the moment and then you look at them in retrospect and you're like, like oh, that was amazing. That was amazing. <laughs> right, like the Mexico trip. Like I think back and like it was amazing. Like I had the best time. But I also, if I look back at the details, I think about how I felt and how like scared I was about missing nap times and yeah. and potty training while we were traveling. And like there was just a lot... Oh yeah, like I don't I'm just this is like coming back to me now, but oh my gosh, our Mexican friends must have thought I was crazy. But our son was potty training and he did refuse to sit on one of those little travel potties that the legs fold out. So I carried around an IKEA, like a little IKEA potty yeah, really. for two weeks in like a bag in Mexico. Do you remember that? And now I, I, I look back to, and I'm I had like, to clean it all the what? time. <laughs> like what? was I doing but I was just so rigid about like making sure that he had a potty whenever he needed it a potty that he was comfortable on and like now looking back like I feel like a crazy person and it feels so unnecessary and the kid would have used the toilet when he needed to use the toilet you know but I mean at that time that was like you know I was still very new to everything and it still felt very important to me those things fade with time, like the memories of those things. And like looking back, that was a really crazy, unnecessary thing to do was to carry around a toilet for two weeks in Mexico. It was in a parenting book. Well, I'm kidding. You... Oh, is it, did I write a parenting book? <laughs> I, feel like, I don't know if I've ever fessed up to that publicly before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, and re- being, able, being able to laugh, recognize that like, yes, like maybe you were a little bit crazy or you did something that was a little bit crazy. And that brings me a lot of relief to be able to be like, oh, look at like, yeah, I did that. And I can't believe I did that. And I've grown and I've evolved and changed. And, but I also know that there's other new parents out there that are probably going to be carrying around toilets on vacation too. That might be part of your journey is like learning that maybe you don't need to do all that stuff. And maybe you don't need to try so hard and maybe everything will be okay. But I can't tell you that like you, that's something you kind of figure out on your own journey. Yeah, it probably felt like like you. I would definitely say, because I was like, oh, no, they'll be fine. They can sit in any toilet. But I'm sure you're thinking, yes, but it's going to cause all sorts of problems. And this is the easiest way. So that was like, at that time, your path of least resistance. And I was like, no, it's fine. Don't worry. They can go in the street corner. They'll be good. <laughs> right. But yeah. But yeah, no, for me, it was like I had to have a... And, and that's fueled by anxiety, right? This idea that like you have to have a plan. You have to be prepared for everything. And I've let go of a lot of that stuff. And that has brought me a lot of peace in that knowing that like we're going to be okay. Like we've made it this far. I posted a picture on Instagram of um some little glass jars that my daughter was using for our daughter was using for shampoo and conditioner the other night and I had like multiple people being like glass in the shower and I'm like yeah we made it out alive like <laughs> I, I don't know I just feel like there went that's all I had handy and like it was fine um and most of the time it's gonna be fine and that I think is your life motto is it's all gonna be fine we'll, we'll find a way it's okay and I found that philosophy very frustrating for a very long time <laughs> Very frustrating, this idea that, like, it's just going to be okay. And I found your rigidity very Actually, frustrating. I remember the very first time when we were dating that I came to visit you over the summer because we met in college. And your dad had asked you to take his car to get serviced. And he had an appointment at 1 o'clock. And you were just like, you wanted to, like, take me somewhere and show me something. And it was like, I was, like, freaking out. I was like, David, you have to have the car there at 1 o'clock. And you're like, we'll get there when we get there. And it was, like, 4 o'clock and you showed up sure enough oh hi like okay we'll take you now and you're like see I told you you'd be fine and like most of the time you're right and I think that like to me like as an anxious person that like needs to know the plan and needs to stick with the plan that kind of thing that like oh it'll work out it'll be fine like we'll just go at four o'clock it'll be fine like it's just a 
it, the car will get serviced when the car gets serviced. It's just an oil change. <laughs> and that, I think, that's so different from, from who I am fundamentally. I think that's been, that was hard for me for a long time. But now I, like, see that most of the time it is okay. I think we treat our car appointments like we do parenting. How's that? Very differently. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think, but I also think that we've, we've found some middle ground in that, even if that wasn't how, wasn't our natural tendencies to begin with. Yes. I like to, I like to say the more I've learned about brain development, that my, um, 21 year old brain was not yet fully formed and developed. So I definitely have, uh, evolved my executive functioning or at least my, my coping skills. Uh, to help me with a lot of that stuff. Yeah, and we, you definitely, you don't show up for three hours late for appointments anymore. No, no. Not most of the time. You would at no. least call and reschedule. Totally, right? totally. But yeah, I think that being two very different people, I think we're fundamentally going to approach conflicts and just in decision making and preparations and planning very differently for for parenting. So even though we come at parenting from two very different bodies and minds and brains and life experiences, I still think it's absolutely very possible to find this middle, moderate approach, which is what I talk about a lot in the program. So when I created the program, I knew that I wanted it to be really representative of the way that we have found a unified approach together and really approachable. That was the most important thing because I thought, you know, what would David be willing to do? <laughs> and I knew that there was no way you were going to be willing to do something that took more than like 90 minutes. And 90 minutes felt like kind of a stretch. I mean, what did you think about the, pro- the program? I thought it was, I thought it was helpful. Did you think it was succinct? Yeah. Like, did it feel like too much? Did you get bored and like click off of me, off my videos? No. <laughs> no? Okay. No. That's good. I actually was surprised at how quickly you made it through it. <laughs> Why are you surprised? <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like you, like, God. because you're not one to consume parenting information normally. I guess that's what I'm wondering is like someone who doesn't generally like find interest in consuming parenting information that like you still found it approachable and, and useful and not like mind numbing. No. Okay. No, I, I I guess it would be kind of rude to say I, you found me mind numbing. Yeah. Especially in a <laughs> podcast. Right. Man, that was boring. <laughs> well, but I mean I think a not lot of- recommended one star. <laughs> okay. I guess I say that because I think you've heard a lot of it before, right? This the content of the program essentially was Well, I, I think we've been working through it a lot. Yeah. Right. Like I, I don't think it's anything new. I think it's something that we've been and it, listen, that we haven't no one's perfect, right? It's again, it's in, not to beat the drum too much, but it's like it's not. It's a journey. It's not. It's progress over perfection, and it's um, something that we've been continuing down this this path. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we we tend to look at the overall vision the same and the overall objective the same. Yeah, and I think a lot of the questions for that I got in advance of this episode were sort of like, well, kind of like who's right, like whose approach do you lean towards when you're trying to make a decision? And I, I do look at the research, you know, and the research shows that when you're raising kids with an authoritative approach where you're giving them options, you're giving them choices, you know, you are understanding that there are a lot of behaviors that are developmentally appropriate. They are going to outgrow a lot of it. There are some behaviors that are annoying you need to let go of. When you can kind of juggle all those things and we know that, kids end up happier and healthier and the outcomes are better, whether it's academic outcomes, um, mental health outcomes that just across the board that the research supports this type of approach to parenting. So it's less of about like who's right and more about like, hey, like we know that these things are going to be the best at supporting our kids' well-being. So how do we align on this kind of centrist middle ground that is authoritative parenting, this interactionist approach. And I think what's helped me is bringing that to life. Because, you know, when I, not being in this field at all and hearing authoritative versus authoritarian uh, parenting, like I have no idea what that really means in reality or in day to day. 
So I think what's helped me is as we talk through some of this stuff, it's like, hey, this is this is how you tend to approach things from, you know, or just your life experience was more authoritative, you know, childhood. Um, and this is what a more authoritarian, uh, sorry, more authoritative parenting approach might look like. Right. And you're right, though. I think that it, it feels a bit elusive. The idea of give them options, but also set boundaries. You know, what does that actually look like in practice? I think Because that... every scenario is going to be different, yeah. too. So I think having the framework is helpful, but then what does it mean in real life is even more yeah. so. Having the framework and together adopting the framework, but also recognizing that it's not always going to be perfect and there's going to be obstacles and you're going to take wrong turns. And my intuition too, <laughs> when, when tensions are higher right. or when I'm tired or whatever happens, right? Like if the rea- the realities of just life, um, is that I may revert back to my, my gut, you know, instinct of being authoritative, but authoritarian. Like the because I said so type. Here. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, you're not the only one. I think that's the vast, vast majority. Like me too. Like yeah. absolutely everyone reverts back during times of stress to the way that they were raised, whether or not that's what they want to be doing or not. Yeah, but even like now as I'm talking through this, I always, I kind of have to pause and think, is it authoritative or authoritarian? No, I hate the words. They're, they're, they just add to the confusion, I think. But, but, I, think I, about- but I, I definitely know like I get a sense of what they mean. And right. so I get a sense of like, like the, because I said so versus yeah, yeah, the yeah. like more like reasonable middle yeah. ground type of approach. Yeah. You know what I mean? All right, David. Well, thank you for joining me tonight. I'm sure that there's probably some sort of Netflix documentary that you could be watching, but instead you're here with us. So I appreciate your time. Oh, of course. I'm glad to give up my one night of Netflix for, for this interview. So <laughs> All right, we'll do it again next year. <laughs> We'll make this a, this can be like our pre-anniversary tradition. (laughs) Okay, our anniversary is not for two months. Well, I said just once a year, so maybe we can pencil this in for next February. All right, that sounds good. All right. I hope you enjoyed my chat with David. If you're interested in learning more about Partners of Parenthood, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash partners. And if you have questions, feel free to always email me, danae at simplefamilies.com. Thanks for tuning in and have a good one.